pray for us, if I could. Lord, please do open our ears as we continue to be here in your presence. That's why we've come, Lord, to be here with you. Help us to hear your voice, whatever you have to say to each of us individually or us even as a congregation. Let's just say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm the short substitute again for the week. When Bill's gone, we always have short people preach. You notice that? Except for the tall ones, but other than that, we're all short. (laughs) Um, Alaska happens to be the worst place to be a fisherman if you're concerned about not dying. Because more ships uh, sink up off the Alaskan coast. They tend to be fishing vessels than any place else around our continent. And uh, not too long ago, I read a story. Uh, the sea was typically rough like it usually is up there. Um, and this one fishing vessel was, uh, was going around in the waters there. And uh, the decks were covered with ice. It was only 12 degrees out. I can't imagine. I get cold coming to church here on Sunday mornings. Because, but at 12 degrees, there's a storm. The waves are coming over the sides of the ship. The deck is covered with ice. And these men are trying to do fishing with this. Uh, suddenly, the, this one uh, man on the ship said, it just felt like something happened. And it was like the ship started going backwards all of a sudden. He grabs the rail, which is covered with ice also. He's standing on ice, and, uh, and then he hears the um, captain say, Abandon ship. <laughs> now imagine, the ship is covered with ice. All of your, uh, what are the boats called? The, the little rescue boats? What? Lifeboats are covered with ice, and he says, Abandon ship. So they quickly as as much as they could they loose all these things and of course they try to put the boats down into the water and here you are in this rough sea and he said when they when they lowered the boats they just went pling they just sort of shot out away from the boat because of the waves and so they jumped into the water there at least they wear these huge suits that uh, they have to protect them and uh, this one man had uh, jumped in and he managed to swim over to one of the rafts and he got in and said he could see these little beacon lights uh, from other men bobbing in the water out there. Uh, But they weren't able to get to a raft like he was. And one of those beacons was on this young guy named Ryan Shuck, whose story I read, who was from Spokane, Washington. And he'd leaped from the middle of the ship And he was immediately sucked under the water by the waves. And when he finally came up, uh, he was nowhere near any lifeboat. And he could see also other beacons floating, and they floated further and further from him. Or he floated further from them. And while he was 
floating around in this water, which the water was 32 degrees at this point. Uh, he saw the ship, and uh, slowly the stern goes under, <laughs> it goes vertically, and it slides under the water. And there he is, and uh, he can no longer see the lights of the ship, and he cannot see any lights from other, other sailors around him either. Uh, he said he felt like he'd been in the water forever. You know, he was getting colder and colder. And at one point he thought he would just unzip his life suit and let it fill up with water and, and go down because it would be easier <laughs> and quicker than what he was going through. Uh, and then suddenly he saw this light shining down on him and he heard these propellers of this helicopter. And suddenly, splash, this uh, Coast Guard uh, diver jumps into the water beside him. And uh, Ryan said when, when the guy grabbed him, he just, he just felt how strong the swimmer was, and he started to relax. And the guy pulls him over, and he, he links him to himself, and they hoist him up to the helicopter. And he lived to write the story. Uh, and rescue stories are great. <laughs> the trouble is scary, but the rescue part is really great. <laughs> you know, it was it was fun reading that that it, it turns out that way. And this morning, I, I'd said that the theme of our morning is really the Lord meeting us in the middle of difficulties. It's really the Lord rescuing us in the middle of difficulties. And so I have a rescue story for you from Scripture. And it is, of course, Psalm 40. And so I'd just like to read that together to begin as we think this through. And I'm going to be reading from a version you do not have, I'm sure, because I don't know anybody else who brings the good news version to here. It's what I used when I was a little boy. It's the one I still use. I refuse to change because I like this one. So it might be a bit different than yours, but I think you'll like my version anyways. I waited patiently for the Lord, Lord, for you to hear my prayer. You listened and pulled me from the lonely pit full of mud and mire. You let me stand on a rock with my feet firm. And you gave me a new song, a song of praise to you. Many will see this and they will honor and trust you, the Lord God. You bless all of those who trust you, Lord and refuse to worship idols or follow false gods. You, Lord God, have done many wonderful things, and you have planned marvelous things for us. No one is like you. I would never be able to tell all you have done. Sacrifices and offerings are not what please you. Gifts and payment for sin are not what you demand. But you made me willing to listen and obey. And so I said, I am here to do what is written about me in the book, where it says, I enjoy pleasing you. Your law is in my heart. When your people worshipped, you know I told them, our Lord always helps. When all of your people met, I did not keep silent. I said, our Lord is kind, he is faithful and caring, and he saves us. You, Lord, never fail to have pity on me. Your love and faithfulness always keep me secure. I have more troubles than I can count. My sins are all around me. 
I can't find my way. My sins outnumber the hairs on my head, and I feel weak. Please show me. Show that you care and come to my rescue. Hurry and help me. Disappoint and confuse all who want me dead. Turn away and disgrace all who want to hurt me. Embarrass and shame all of those who say, just look at you now. Our Lord, let your worshipers rejoice and be glad. They love you for saving them. So let them always say, the Lord is wonderful. I am poor and needy. But Lord God, you care about me and you come to my rescue. Please hurry and help. Um, I just want to make three observations about this psalm, this story, in terms of a few things that we can learn from here. One that really strikes me about Psalm 40, it's a psalm of rescue. You notice that. But did you also notice it begins and it ends with trouble? Which makes it a very strange rescue story. <laughs> Most stories be, that are rescue stories begin with trouble and end with happiness, getting pulled out of the frigid sea. This one begins and it ends with trouble, which is fascinating. You begin with this picture of him being in a pit. Mine says, a lonely pit full of mud and mire. Uh, it's all through the Psalms, this uh, idea of a pit. It's obviously a metaphor for being in a very bad place. You're hopeless. You're helpless. You can't get out of this thing. You're sort of stuck. And you think of Jeremiah. I think of Jeremiah, at least, getting lowered into the cistern because they wanted to get rid of him, or I think of Daniel in the lion's den, uh, in trouble, down in the pit. Uh, and then it ends with trouble. That is fascinating. Verse 12, I have more troubles than I can count. So he had trouble in the past. He was in this pit, and he prayed, and now where is he again? He has more troubles than he, is, than he can count. He feels surrounded, feels like he's drowning. Uh, he's weak. He can't find his way. He's lost. He doesn't know where to go next. Uh, what you have portrayed is what I choose to call a cycle of trouble. A cycle of trouble. It doesn't just come once. It comes again and again. You were in trouble in the past, but here it is again. It's a repeating event. Uh, it's the middle of the day and the phone rings and you find out your father has just had a stroke. Uh, I recall that time. And everything stops. And you think, uh, what should I do? Um, how... How do I respond? I need to get back to be with dad. I, I want to be there right now. How's he doing? And they tell you how he's doing. Uh, you do get back. Uh, you're, you remember all those times at the hospital. And just what a scary time it was. You wondered, would dad recover from all of this? And uh, thankfully, things even out. There's all the 
financial questions, uh, the insurance uh, mess that uh, you have to go through, but it all evened out, you know, and your father recovered most, at least, of his function, you know, praise the Lord. Um, but now, go to old 2010, 2009, and there's a cutback in the economy. There's a recession. You were a school counselor, and uh, you've lost your job. Uh, and you can't find another one. You applied at a daycare center, and they told you you weren't qualified. That's the story I heard the other day. No one wants to hire you. Here it is again. You're in a pit. How will you get out of this thing? Or your wife is sick and there's no medical insurance. How will you handle this? You know, the, I didn't have to make up the stories, of course. These are just stories that... I've heard recently. Uh, But the sad fact is that this cycle of trouble is the reality of our life. I mean, it comes and then it comes again. Uh, It's sort of all around us. And the theme that sort of has been with me for the last several weeks, really, as I've been with students, with international students, is again and again I talk to them about the fact that we live in a broken world. And that explains a great deal of what we experience. We live in a fallen and broken world. And for all of us here, it's not any uh, news, really. Genesis 1 and 2 are great chapters in the Bible. The Lord creates everything, and it's wonderful. You know, I've always thought about the Garden of Eden. You know, there we are naked, And I guess there are no mosquitoes even in the garden, you know? It never bothers us, you know? But then Genesis 3 comes along, and absolutely everything falls apart. Absolutely everything, you know? Uh, We're separated from the Lord. We're ashamed of who we are. We sense there's something wrong with us. The relationship between the people, uh, Adam and Eve, falls apart, Uh, the ground even, you know, the, it won't grow like it used to grow. Uh, everything falls apart. Last week, Rick told us the story of Cain and Abel. So what happens? Adam and Eve have two children and the one kills the other. You know, how terrible can it get? Um, God told us what to expect in Genesis 3. That your life is going to be this way. You will have a cycle of suffering, a cycle of problems. Do you ever get frustrated with what your government is doing? You live in a broken world. It doesn't matter whether they're Democrats or Republicans. It doesn't matter if you're in the United States or France, you know. Um, Do you ever get frustrated with Wall Street? With 8 million, 8 million people having lost their jobs because of uh, our economy and what happened. Boy, I think that's a terrible thing. And you go, we live in a broken world. This is the way it's always been. When you, when you read history, it's a sad story. Do you ever despair over the tension in your own home? 
with your wife, maybe this morning, <laughs> with your children, you know. Uh, all, uh, many of the staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in St. Louis have chosen to live in the inner city. And uh, what do you think has happened to these staff? Every one of them has had their car broken into. Every one of them has had their house broken into. If you live in the inner city of St. Louis, it's like a war zone. And if you live in a war zone, you will suffer. That's just all there is to it. Doesn't matter what you are like. You're going to suffer if you live in a war zone. I would not want to live in Afghanistan today, you know, or Iraq or many other places. Um, but that's the, the picture of our life in Scripture, is that we live in a war zone in many ways. But with that encouraging beginning, let me tell you, the story gets worse, okay? <laughs> Verse 12, I have more troubles than I can count. My sins are all around me. My sins are all around me. I can't find my way. My sins outnumber the hairs on my head, and I feel weak. Uh, I have lots of problems in life, but here's the sad part. I am my own worst problem. I am my own worst problem. Uh, Maybe there's a cycle of trouble in life, but then there's also this cycle of sin in life. And you know that all too often, the reason you have the other troubles is because of what's going on inside of you. You create so many of your own troubles in the process. But again, Genesis 3, it's so striking that it's not just the world that's broken, but I am deeply and profoundly broken and so when Adam and Eve, you know, cover themselves and they're embarrassed about being naked, you know, it's, it's not the nakedness, it's the shame of realizing what is on the inside and who they are, that they're broken. There's something wrong with them, actually. And for us, it comes out in so many ways, you know, you've already made the list in your head of your own sin. Uh, relationships, I think, are usually where we see it most uh, clearly, our anger, our selfishness, thoughtlessness, envy, uh, it goes on and on. And, and you, you feel like Paul in Romans 7 when he says, you know, the things I want to do, I, I don't end up doing. And the things I don't want to do, I keep doing those things. And he says, who will deliver me from this? I go, amen, Paul. You know, uh, we all need rescued. It's so true. I do think, though, it's significant and helpful to even just realize that this is a reality, that you do live in a broken world. We live in a broken place. And so it should not surprise us when the world is a mess outside. And I am deeply broken. And so, in one sense, it shouldn't surprise me when I find, you know, what I find about myself day by day. I don't accept it, but at least it's not quite such a shock, you know, when it happens. 
Uh, And the Lord, this always strikes me too, the Lord has placed us in a broken world. And he's left us here for some reason. And so there is more to the story, thank goodness. So my second observation here, my second observation is about the rescue part of the story. And uh, the nice thing is it's way more encouraging than the first uh, observation about the other part of the story. But verse 2, we come back to this again. Or verse 1, we'll say, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited for you to hear my prayer. And you listened. And you pulled me from the lonely pit full of mud and mire. You let me stand on a rock with my feet firm. You gave me a new song, a song of praise to you. The picture, again, is you were in the pit. Things were terrible. I don't know how you got there. I don't know how I got there. But there I was. And uh, maybe you fell in in the morning. Maybe you got hurt from falling in. When you first fell in, you know, you yelled, help, help, you know. And you tried to figure out how I could get out of this thing. You tried climbing up the sides. Nothing worked, you know. And after a while, you sort of slow down a little bit. And and you're waiting, but you can't give up. So you yell some more. And then you wait some more. And, and you listen and you yell, and, and it's, you're getting cold, you know, down there. And, and it's beginning to get dark outside, and you're beginning to think, this is serious. Uh, how am I going to get out of here? Uh, what's going to happen? And uh, maybe after all, you lose track of time. You don't know how long you've been in here. And then uh, suddenly, you hear somebody, and... They're yelling, you yell back, and uh, there's Jesus at the top of the pit with a rope. What a great deal. (laughs) Jesus shows up with a rope, and uh, he says, how are you? (laughs) And he throws the rope down, and uh, you say, I can't pull myself up. He says, don't, just tie it around yourself. And then he pulls you out of the pit. What a great story, you know, the Lord rescuing us. And in verse 4 and 5, I love this part. It says, You bless all those who trust you, Lord, and refuse to worship idols and follow false gods. You, Lord God, have done many wonderful things. This is not the first time he's been pulled out of the pit. This also, I love this, is a repeating pattern. The Lord continues to rescue him. And later in verse 11 and 12, he's going to say, you won't withhold your love for me. He has an expectation of something. But if there's this cycle of trouble, there's also this cycle of being rescued, which is wonderful. I was sitting at my desk on Wednesday when I was beginning to think about this, and it was cloudy outside. It just rained. Do you remember that? It was raining and cloudy all day long. And uh, I was working away at the desk, and I was looking down, being very focused, and all of a sudden, I felt something. And I looked up, and the sun was shining. 
And uh, it was fascinating because, you know, I just, it just, I guess the change in the light, I just felt it when it happened. The sun had broken through. And, and this is really true, the birds really did start to sing. It was really great. <laughs> but, you know, that has been happening several times this week when it's just been thick with clouds and then suddenly the sun breaks through. It's a great image again of what happens in our lives. But just this is what David had experienced is that, that uh, there was this cycle of trouble, but thank the Lord there was this cycle of deliverance. And this, of course, is nothing new again in the Bible. The Bible is the story of cycles of deliverance, isn't it? Uh, in the Old Testament, you have to mention Exodus. Exodus is the key event of the Old Testament. It's, it's how the Israelites even understood God. They had been in Egypt for 400 years. They ended up slaves in Egypt. And God chooses Moses, sends him to them, and he leads them out of Egypt. This impossible thing. He confronted the Pharaoh, a series of miracles, and out they come. And, of course, they end up with the Passover, which is this celebration, a yearly celebration, to remember this unbelievable deliverance, this unbelievable rescue. So that's how they, how they thought of God. God is the God of the Exodus, the one who can deliver us out of anything. And then when you jump to the New Testament you have an even more dramatic event, and it is God does not just send Moses. God comes himself, incarnate in Jesus. And one of the things I love about Jesus is Jesus is always going around rescuing people. My favorite story is always Jairus. And he comes to Jesus and says, my little daughter is dying. And Jesus goes with him. And you remember he was on the way to Jairus' house. And this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years has spent all of her money. She's not getting any better. Bleeding means she's unclean. She's, she can't be part of the, uh, the temple ceremonies, etc. She goes up behind Jesus and touches his robe. And she feels like I felt the sunshine the other day. She feels something changed. You know, she was healed. And then Jesus goes on to Jairus' house. And indeed, the little girl is dead. He goes in and he, he takes her by the hand and says, little girl, get up. And she gets up. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I love that. Just that picture of Jesus going around rescuing people. And then... The other I have to mention, because it, it will fit with our text here, is remember he was at uh, the Pharisee's house. And they were having dinner, and the woman comes in, and she begins to cry and anoint his feet with oil. And they say, why would he let this sinful woman touch him like this? You know, And the reason, of course, is because he had rescued her she was not sick she was sinful and he rescued her from her sin praise the lord i'm glad that part is in there 
that God doesn't just rescue us when my dad has a stroke, but he rescues us from our sin again and again and again. (laughs) And Passover in the New Testament becomes Easter. Passover becomes Easter, the celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection, that Jesus died to rescue us and rose again as a pattern for the life that we can have. Praise the Lord. David in this psalm and throughout his life, he's seen the Lord rescue him in the past and he's learned that he can expect this in the future. He can expect the Lord to do this again. And so at the end of the psalm, he's asking, Lord, come and help. I know what you're like. I know that you will, you'll be here for me. And what he has is hope. What he has is hope in the midst of his mess. And hope is actually part of our rescue. You know, hope is actually part of the rescue. That's what really encourages me in some ways here. There's a, a rescue even before the rescue. Um, some of you know that Mary and I lived in Ukraine for a few years. Uh, when we were over there, um, Ukraine was and still is an incredible mess. Uh, the poverty, uh, this is grinding poverty over there, the sadness of the people. There was just a sadness in who they were and what it was like to be there for them. And we were really different than the Ukrainians. And they could tell it. We were people of hope. And they flocked around us. Students flocked around us, partly just because we had such an expectation of good things that would happen. It was encouraging to be around us. Um, We were citizens of a different country. I was really thankful for that. Uh, We were just passing through. Uh, When Mary passed out in the middle of the night, uh, one night, I was scared to death. So I picked up the phone and I called a doctor in Oregon and said, Glenn, what should I do? She's unconscious and she's lying on the floor here. And Glenn walked me through what to do. And uh, when we were sick, I had a whole stash of antibiotics in the other room that nobody in Ukraine had. I had resources from the outside. We had resources from the outside that got us through everything. It was because I was a citizen of a different country just like we're citizens of a different country, you know, and we have resources from the outside. Um, I don't know what you're facing right now in terms of your particular trouble or your particular sin, but the one encouraging thing is that I know that there's a rescue in your future if you're following the Lord. You know, there's a rescue in your future, and that is really encouraging. Uh, One other thought. My father's birthday is tomorrow. He'll be 85 years old. 
and I really like my dad. Uh, he's just, he's a short guy, you might be surprised to hear that. <laughs> he doesn't have much hair, um, but he smiles a lot. Uh, and he has just been a good dad to me my whole life. I mean, he's, he's like all dads. He gave his whole life to me in many ways. And unfortunately, I never really appreciated that until I got older, right? Like so, well, like all of us. We don't really appreciate it till we get older. But I do appreciate it now, and I really, I really want to do something for his birthday. So the other day, I was at Dylan's looking at cards, and I just wanted to find the right birthday card that would make him smile. That was my whole goal, because I can even hear Dad and see him smiling when he opens this card. I know there'll be this little laugh, ha ha ha, you know, and then he'll fold the card up and he'll put it away. That's all it will get, (laughs) but but I'll get that. And I also thought, what else can I do for Dad? What other gift can I you know 85 year old guys are hard to buy gifts for the dad needs absolutely nothing and he he tells me that all the time and I just couldn't think of anything else to get dad and and then I realized my sister will think of something else to get dad she always makes me look bad at birthdays you know and even if she doesn't think of anything, she'll just go buy something and give it to my dad. So I'll always look bad compared to my sister. But the great thing is, is I'm really lucky because dad doesn't really care if I give him anything, which is great. <laughs> you know, as long as I call him and he hears my voice and he just knows that I love him, he'll be a happy guy. And... So I'm looking forward to tomorrow because all i got to do is call my dad and let him know I love him. And this is exactly what David gets to in this psalm in terms of how he responds to God's rescue and the sense that he knows his future is secure. As he says, I know sacrifice and offerings are not what you really want. A one-time thank you, one-time religious response He says, your law is in my heart and I delight to do your will. What he means is, I just want to please you. I want to do whatever will make you smile, Lord, all the time. I just want to give give you whatever I can to make you smile. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about what can I do to make the Lord smile today? I just say that that's a great pattern for your life. A great pattern for us to think about how to live our life. Your, your basic goal is to do what will make the Lord smile. You know, that's fun. I try to make Mary smile all the time. I'm sort of driven to make people laugh. So I say lots of stuff that I shouldn't say probably. I speak too much. But, you know, I try to make people smile. It, it, it dawned on me that I didn't think that way about the Lord enough. I didn't think... How can I make the Lord smile today? What can I do? You know, not just to be obedient. Obedient can, can be sort of mechanical or something. It can be sacrifices and offerings. But the heart, obedience is what makes the Lord smile, of course. But just to be able to make him smile. That's the goal here, ultimately. And I thought about this again, and it struck me again that even this is part of our rescue, 
You know, I think of Paul in prison and he's waiting and he's waiting. When will the Lord release me from this place? And what's he doing while he's in prison? He's writing letters to the churches to encourage the other churches. And, you know, in the process of doing that, he has, he, it's his hope And even as he does these things, tries to just honor the Lord day by day, you know, it brings rescue. He's really not quite really in prison. He's he's in prison, but he's not really captured there because he's beyond those walls, because he's still serving the Lord. He's still doing the things that God has called him to do. And there's something, he's, he's free in that sense. What a great image. In one sense, we have the cycle of trouble, kind of the cycle of sin in our own lives, but, but we know that the Lord will rescue us. We know we have resources from outside to carry us through. And all we do is just, we say thank you to the Lord when he's rescued us again, and we think, how can I please you? What can I do? To make you smile. We have what everybody wants, really. We have what everybody has, which is troubles. But we have what everybody wants. (laughs) We're secure. We have hope. And we have resources from the outside. and, And we have a Lord who finally and ultimately will completely rescue us forever. Amen and hallelujah. We have one more chance to make the Lord smile this morning in worship. So as we sing this next song. Oh, do we do we do benediction before we sing songs? You have to help me here. I think we do, don't we? Isn't it nice to have a new guy? All right. We're going to sing a song and do sing it to the Lord. But before we that, let's stand for our benediction. I'm stealing this from Jude. And I think it relates very well to the Lord's rescue and, and the trouble we get in. It says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.